Hello and welcome to The Wire, your national and independent coverage of current affairs right across Australia on Community and Indigenous Radio. I'm Emma Watsky, coming to you from Radio Adelaide in Tandanya on the lands of Ghanamina. Our team pays our deepest respect to Elders past and present. We extend this respect to all First Nations listeners and to the rightful custodians of the lands you are listening in from. And today on the show... Just thinking about the start of the garment's life and then where it's going to end up at the end. I think that that's really important in the circular economy. As the nation observes Recycling Week, sustainable clothing experts share more on the power of recycling. What could the transition to thrift mean for fabric waste and environmental sustainability? Also, continuing conflict between Israel and Hamas is not only having humanitarian consequences. Now communities are demanding businesses and governments end partnerships with defence companies involved in the conflict. The Wire has the details. And later in the show... Well, the community radio sector is a national sector and it's incredibly important in being part of the music media ecosystem in developing pathways for artists to gain an audience. Yesterday echoed sounds of celebration as the ARIA Awards recognised the best Australian and international music for this year. But what role has community media played in developing pathways for some artists to gain audience engagement? We'll have this and more for you over the next half hour. We're on air across Australia, thanks to the Community Radio Network and the support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. First up... Today, the Regional Australia's Region Rising Conference kicked off in Orange, New South Wales, opening a platform to start conversations about issues happening in regional communities. One of the topics at the conference will be accessibility on early childhood education and care in the regions, with a report released this week showing the realities for families outside metro areas. The Wise Eduardo Jordan asked co-author of the report and campaign director at The Parenthood, Maddie Butler, what the report is entails. Choiceless, the plight of parents in accessing regional, rural and remote early learning and care is exactly about that, about the struggles that regional, rural and remote families are having right now in trying to access any form of early childhood education and care. And so often they're left without any choice, which is why we've called it Choiceless. So for our listeners who are unfamiliar, what's a childcare desert and where are these deserts across Australia? So a childcare desert is basically one where there are three children for every available childcare spot. Um, and that was a report that came out a few years ago by the Mitchell Institute and has been really useful in defining where there are childcare deserts across the country. And their findings show that it's regional, rural and remote areas that are really disproportionately affected by childcare deserts, which is why we wanted to have a report with the qualitative side of that, with stories backing up that research. So who's the most affected population sector in these childcare deserts, according to the report? Well, in the Mitchell Institute's report, they did say that, yes, regional and in particular, they stated that rural and remote areas are disproportionately affected. And that is what we've found in our report as well. We have focused on regional, rural and remote families, and it definitely is clear that they are, while we know that everybody across the country is struggling with the accessibility and affordability of early childhood education and care, it is a real struggle in regional, rural and remote areas. 
there's an important statement in the report that uh, says that um, there's not a one-size-fits-all solution in childcare inaccessibility, particularly in remote and regional areas. Could you please expand a little bit more on this? Yeah, definitely. Well, and that's why we wanted to define that this is regional, rural and remote communities because there can't be one size fits all solution that's delivered across all of these communities. They have very differing needs and challenges that need to be met and addressed. And so, for example, in a regional centre that might have a population of 20,000 people, they may well have centres open but not running at full capacity because they can't find the staff. Whereas in a remote area, there may be 10 families who are all hundreds of kilometres from each other and it wouldn't even be possible to have a childcare centre open to service all of them. So we know that there definitely needs to be different solutions delivered across the regional areas. And that's why we would like the government to consider different solutions, but also do some community consultation and ensure that they're really hearing and listening to the needs of each community. Also, the report shows uh, case studies from all across Australia. What's the case that was the most shocking when researching the topic? To be honest with you, there was no one case that was the most shocking. A lot of what I read brought tears to my eyes. There's just so many families suffering all over the country in regional, rural and remote areas right now. But one case study that I can refer to, it was this family in Broome and they're trying to get by on just one income. They're a mum and a dad, but because they don't have access to childcare, they can only live on one income right now because the mum can't get back to work. And they're really struggling to pay for the groceries pay the bills and instead they're having to borrow money from their own parents who are also struggling and with the rising cost of living at the moment we know that in two parent families both parents generally need to go to work they need those two incomes to survive and in single parent families they need increased work hours and this can be a real struggle when you don't have access to childcare. And uh, what can the federal government do to minimize the issues exposed in this report? Well, what we would like to see, because it's clear right now that the market is failing regional, rural and remote communities. Um, the way that the market is set up under the current policy settings, we know that generally external providers aren't going to come into a lot of these areas, particularly in rural and remote areas. So we would like the government to step in and consider adopting a market stewardship role. Similar to the way that they deliver primary and high school education across the nation, we'd like to see them delivering some form of early childhood access, early childhood education and care, access to every single child so that every child has some form of access no matter who they are or where they live. The Why is Eduardo Jordan speaking with co-author of the report and campaign director at The Parenthood, Maddie Butler. The conflict between Israel and Hamas continues, and it's not only having humanitarian consequences. Now communities are demanding businesses and governments to end partnerships with defence companies involved in the conflict. 
Recently, RMIT University ended its partnership with Elbit Systems, an Israeli defence company developing drones, and grassroots organisations like Boycott Divestment and Sanctions Australia welcomes the decision. The wise Eduardo Jordan spoke with members of BDS Australia about the actions they did in Melbourne. My name's Sonia and I'm with BDS Australia. I'm actually the secretary. I'm Jane. I'm not actually like a member of BDS Australia, but I, I correspond with them and I try to support them when I can. And I'm a hanger on Well, BDS Australia is a, a coalition of 11 pro-Palestinian associations and um, our aim is to inform and raise awareness in the Australian community in support of a just peace for Palestinian people. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. And it's an, the BDS movement itself is a Palestinian-led non-violent movement that came about in about 2005. And I think the, the Palestinian call for a boycott was in response partly to a 2004 ruling by the World Court, World Court or the International Court of Justice, which said that the, the wall that Israeli was built, Israel was building was illegal, settlements were illegal. The, the Western governments totally ignored the ruling of the International Court of Justice and I think that was that was another prompt for the Palestinian civil society society to call for the boycott of Israel. So, Mark and Shane, I understand you were outside RMIT's facilities for more than eight months. What was the aim of it? Well, what we wanted to do was to pu- expose and publicise RMIT's research partnership with Albert, the largest privately owned Israeli weapons manufacturer. Like many many students and staff that we met at RMIT, they were not aware of it, let alone the wider public who saw us there every week. We were there pretty much for 34 weeks, almost conti- virtually continuous, one day a week for about two hours at a time. But we wanted to put pressure on RMIT to end its research partnership with Albert to, by living up to its self-proclaimed values and ethics and to discourage it from entering into any similar partnerships in the future and also to put other education institutions on notice that um, they would face similar com- campaigns of, of shame and exposure if they did the same as RMIT was doing. We became aware that those who were aware of um, this partnership with Elbert at RMIT, the, the students and the staff, they did have a, a protest in August of last year, but they also probably felt quite they could be compromising their careers by doing a concerted ongoing campaign. And we had the freedom to do that. So, uh, and they were very thankful for us to be able to be their voice in a way. What was the feedback from students and the rest of the staff or the rest of the community when you were talking to them about this partnership? We had a lot of support from students. There was the odd uh, person who disagreed with us, but overall, I think most of the students that we interacted with were supportive. Um, We handed out hundreds and hundreds of leaflets, both leaflets from uh, BDS Australia and also a leaflet that we had made up ourselves. So I think there was a lot of support. Shane did a lot of research for his particular leaflet, just looking at what drones do, in particular Elbert drones, and how they were directly targeting civilians, civilian Palestinians. And it's really quite in your face, and I think that was quite shocking to a lot of people. I could perhaps read from from that from the research that I did into I just looked up on the internet like Albert Gaza uh, Baker Boys. At the beginning of the month, RMIT released a statement saying they had no relationship or had no relationship with LB Systems or any subsidiaries. What are your thoughts about this? They were a bit cagey. It was a bit of a shock when they actually said this. It was so just we heard it by rumor and word of mouth. 
We, and then we looked on the website and had changed them. Uh, Shane had done a, a screenshot a year ago where they were boasting about having this marvellous partnership. It's actually underway with Elbert. And all of a sudden, their website says, we've had no partnership with Elbert, mm. which was a bit contradictory. They were somehow being very cagey. And, uh, and uh, they weren't even admitting ever having had a partnership. The announcement that we put out that it had dropped the contracts or they didn't have any has gone around the world. So everybody, so they're, they're on notice, like the whole, globally on notice. What would you like the federal government to actively do? They've done statements. They said, oh, well, you need to do this and blah, blah, blah. But also they're supporting the other side as well. What would you like them to actively do regarding this conflict in Gaza? Um, cease fire straight away, immediate cease fire. You can't do anything except cease fire. And then they need to call for an end to the Israeli occupation, both in Gaza, the West Bank and East Jerusalem. If you don't have an occupation, you won't have a resistance. It's as simple as that. Secretary of BDS Australia, Sonia Karkar, ending the story by The Wire's Eduardo Jordan. Across Australia, you're listening to The Wire, Community Radio's National Current Affairs Programme. As the nation observes Recycling Week, a simple message resonates. What goes around comes around, encouraging community members to be more active in recycling and to keep valuable resources circulating. On average, every Australian buys 56 items of clothing annually and sends 23 kilograms of clothing to landfill, according to Clean Up Australia. Owner of Sustainable Clothing Co, Laura Voigt, encourages the transition to thrift and says thinking about the start of a garment's life and where it ends up at the end is an important change. So what could terms like recycling, upcycling, repurposing and pre-loved mean when building sustainability in the fashion space? Laura explains. You just don't get the quality these days that the vintage garments once had because everything's made so quickly without any thought or craftsmanship or quality fabrics or anything like that and at the moment things are just made to be thrown away and the value is that quality and that difference and that uniqueness of getting something that's secondhand or vintage. We really want to help people be involved in sustainability in a way that they don't really have to think too much about through just buying and selling secondhand or coming to our clothes swaps, repairing their clothes. I love meeting fun and interesting people and then I go around to their house and they've got these amazing collections of clothes and I get to pick from their wardrobe because they don't want to just donate it because there's a chance it could end up in landfill. They tell me the story behind the clothes and then I can pass that story on. We've got a whole range of denim, also a lot of like jackets and sportswear and things like that. You know, vintage leathers are really good too because leather is a natural resource and um, it biodegrades as well. So anything we can find with secondhand leather is also really great. There's also a number of upcycled pieces here too. The lady who does those, she has worked in the fashion industry for 30 years and saw all the waste that went into the fast fashion they were producing and then decided to make her new things out of the old. When you're sourcing garments, is there anything that you look for in terms of the materials or the fibres that they're made of? I generally would like to buy more things that are like cottons and natural fabrics. A lot of 
garments these days are made from polyesters and oils and those kinds of materials as well and I think even though they're not as sustainable as say cotton or hemp we still need to be recycling those we still need to be wearing those because they've already been made the more use we can get out of them the better even if you wear it and wear it until it falls apart and then you turn it into a rag or something that's better than it rotting in landfill and giving off toxic greenhouse gas emissions there's another lady um, her name's Rachel she made all of these skirts out of tea towels Um, So it just really goes to show that you can make anything if you set your mind to it. That's the beauty of upcycling. Laura says a newer shift to upcycling fashion is transforming the old into new, which manifests in a number of ways. That could mean putting studs on it. It could mean making some paintings on the garment or adding something, taking something away, making it smaller or maybe even cutting it up and making it into a completely different piece of clothing. I think there's such a skills shortage at the moment and these people in the garment factories making these pieces, it's it's a complex skill. Can you tell me a little bit about the circular fashion economy and why it could be or why it is a vital step forward? It's a vital step forward because we want to be thinking about the end of the life of the garment. Like where does it end up after you've finished wearing it, after you've bought it? What are you going to do with it? We really want to make sure that nothing gets sent to landfill. Everything finds a home, even if it's soiled or damaged we still send it off to other places that manufacture that into other materials and things like that. Danielle Panfillo, Retail Assistant at Sustainable Clothing Co and Honours Graduate of Ecology and Evolutionary Biology says the fashion industry has huge environmental impacts. The fast fashion industry is actually the second biggest polluter worldwide right after the oil industry so an enormous impact it's having on the environment. Billions of clothes going to landfill each year, that obviously affecting the environment, being burnt and also affecting local poorer islands. Being in a space where I can promote a healthier way of purchasing clothes and a healthier way of consumerism is I think really beneficial and I think there needs to be more shops focusing on this kind of concept. From working in the space, have you noticed a shift in attitudes around adopting more pre-loved clothes or recycling and why do you think that attitude shift might be important? When people think secondhand, I think what first comes to mind is old clothes, run down, like discarded items. But when they walk into this kind of space and they see that a lot of it is good quality clothing and it's or just something that someone else no longer wanted rather than a piece of material that was just thrown away. You can see a lot of people are like, oh, wow, like, so this is all secondhand. I'm like, yeah, it's all secondhand or upcycled. And they're like, oh, wow. What benefit do you think that recycling could have on the future? An incredible one. I know a lot of really extreme activists will go for a completely discard things like plastic and go all natural realistically I think we need to start looking at a circular economy to just get rid of all of this waste it's not necessarily going to help the issue you still need to get rid of it and that in itself is a very detrimental process being able to collect what's already been made and reuse it and just keep it in the economy without having to burn it or dump it is just so beneficial. I think it's just all about bringing consumerism down. 
Laura agrees that consumer habits surrounding fashion need to change for a sustainable future. I think it's rooted in our habits now as well because consumerism and the industrial revolution has really made things so convenient and we're used to that. Now we've got to look at it as, okay, what's going to be convenient for us in the future? Is it going to be the world burning or is it going to be us living a beautiful life and being able to express ourselves rather than trying to quickly clean all this stuff up? Owner of Sustainable Clothing Co, Laura Voigt, speaking with The Wire. Yesterday, the ARIA Awards recognised the best Australian and international music for this year. Some of the winners are Troy Sivan as the best solo artist and G Flip as the best Australian live act. But most of the artists in the music industry start in community media, which has a critical role in engaging with audiences. The Wise Eduardo Jordan reports. That was Aria Awards winner and Australian artist G Flip performing this week at Parliament House. Yesterday, the Aria Awards kicked off and is one of the biggest music events in Australia, recognizing the best Australian in international music. But like most emerging artists, community radio is their first platform to perform. G Flip told National Radio News correspondent Amanda Kopp, community media was an important step towards their career. I remember a few times I used to present on community radio. Um, Yeah, a few few times I jumped in on Sin and then um, another local one in Brighton um, with Matt O'Gorman, who's now on Triple M in Melbourne. So I did a few little radio bits and pieces here and there, but you know community radio it's it's great and you know a lot of artists get their start out you know being spun on community radio and it's it's great and it it needs more support the role of community media in the music industry is essential to support artists the community broadcasting association of australia has an online platform to disseminate music to more than 300 community radio stations across australia National Radio News reporter Laura Devoy asked manager of the Australian Music Radio Airplay project Andrew Keduri how the project works with artists through AMRAP. Well, the core business of AMRAP is a platform, amrap.org.au, where artists can upload for free their current releases and broadcasters with an accredited account can log on to amrap.org.au and they can find music that they'll enjoy, download, and they can put it to air on their radio shows. So this is how we allow community radio to reach its 25% quota of Australian music across the sector, even though we regularly reach 37% because our sector is really passionate about new and emerging Australian music. Um, Where does the community sector sit in the national music industry? Well, the community radio sector is a national sector and it's incredibly important in being part of the music media ecosystem in developing pathways for artists to gain an audience and to also gain awareness of who they are, where they're from and where they're at in their careers and and also to gain an audience and develop on that audience and tour around the country via the network that supports them. And with the ARIA Awards on this week, how relevant is the event for Australian artists and listeners? Well, it's hugely relevant. I mean, this is you know, 
one of the nights of nights for Australian music and we're really proud to play a part in creating those pathways for artists to reach the point where they get nominated for an aria. We've got artists like Genesis Wusu and the Teskey Brothers who definitely got early airplay on community radio and now have been nominated for Album of the Year and uh, an artist like Bujara, First Nations artist. First Nations artists probably, by and large, get their first airplay on community radio. So for them to be reaching this night of nights and be nominated for an award. How important is it for greater diversity, not only across the industry, but also in the recognition? Well, diversity in Australian music and representation of that diversity is optimum in 2023. We live in a diverse society, a contemporary society, is full of diversity and we need to represent it and show it in full to represent that diverse contemporary modern society and Australian music and its culture is one of the strongest ways we can do that and show who we are as a nation. So it's incredibly important. What role does AMRAP and the community radio sector play in fostering artists from diverse backgrounds? We play a really big role I think because um, more and more we're seeing volunteers from diverse backgrounds take part in community radio because they're interested in what community radio offers and that's access and that's access to underrepresented communities uh, whether they be music communities or other communities they're always going to find a home on community radio so our, our volunteers are not bound by corporate interests and they're not bound by format so you can hear a whole different range of diverse Australian music on community radio stations all around the country and you can listen to it easily anytime. So that's the real benefit of community radio to represent that diversity of Australian music and you just basically get to hear such an incredible amount of talent that are really doing so many different things every single day of the year. Manager of AMRAP, Andrew Kadori, speaking with National Radio News, Laura Devoy. And unfortunately, that's the end of the show today. Thanks so much for listening. The Wire is a co-production between 2SER in Gadigal, Sydney, 3ZZZ in Nam, Melbourne, 4ZZZ and Radio 4EB in Mianjin, Brisbane and Radio Adelaide with the great support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation and the Community Radio Network. Remember, you can check out our stories at thewire.org.au and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. I'm Emma Watsky coming to you from Radio Adelaide in Tandanya, Adelaide. Thanks so much for your company and we'll see you next time on The Wire.